0: And that is, how do you fix a broken world? How do you fix a broken world? It's a question that's been brought into focus for us recently, hasn't it? But it has always been there. Whether it's something global like COVID or climate change, or something closer to home like depression or anxiety. All of us recognise that this world is broken. And all of us want to fix it. All of us want to find a solution. And we've come up with all sorts of different solutions, haven't we? All sorts of different ways that we think we can fix the world. And at the heart of all of them, the common thread amongst all of our ideas is that I or or we are the answer. And so we think maybe if we declutter and recycle and take up yoga, we can fix the world's problems. Oh we think if we if we pray a bit more or or go and find the right temple or, or do a bit more good, we can fix the world's problems. Oh, we think if we find the right economic policy or the right educational theory or the right political ideology, we can fix the world's problems. You see whether it's veganism or Buddhism, whether it's humanism or liberalism, all of our solutions, all of our answers put. Me at the center. We think we can be the answer. Which makes what Paul is going to say in this next bit of Ephesians radically countercultural. Because he's going to say that all of our ideas, all of our, our theories, they're missing the mark. What he's going to say cuts across all our plans and projects to fix the broken world. Because he says, Look, look, if you think you are the answer, if you think humanity is the answer to the world's problems. Well, you haven't even begun to understand the real problem. And he lays that problem out for us at the start of our passage in verses 1 to 3. And his big point there is that we are dead in sin. We're dead in sin. Just look at verse 1. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Now, obviously, Paul can't be talking there about physically dead people uh, because, well, we can just look around, can't we? We can see people who are walking and talking, uh, going about their daily life, living life well. Uh, No, Paul can't be talking about physical death there. He's talking about spiritual death because the Bible says that our sin separates us from God. Because we've rejected God, because we've rebelled against him, it's like we've been cut off from him, separated from him, separated from the source of life. And so Paul says, apart from God, we are spiritually dead. And straight away we might think, oh, Paul, that, that sounds a bit much. I know some really spiritual people. Surely we're not all dead. That, that, doesn't, that seems a bit over the top, don't you think? But Paul is convinced and he wants us to be convinced too. And so he shows us what spiritually dead people look like. And the first thing he says is there in verse 2. He says they follow the ways of this world. They follow the ways of the world. In other words, spiritually dead people go along with the crowd. Whatever the culture says is the, the good and right thing to do, that's what they'll do. So when it comes to morality... The world says if it feels right, then it must be right. And so as long as you're not hurting anyone, you should just get on and do what feels right to you. When it comes to sexuality, the world says, well, your body is your own. Uh, Sex is just some sort of bodily function. And so it doesn't really matter who you sleep with. When it comes to spirituality, uh, the world says God is an optional extra. You can take your pick. It, it doesn't really matter what God you follow or worship, just as long as you keep it to yourself. You see, that's what the world says. And the spiritually dead person, well, they just, they just float along. They, they just go along with the world. They follow the world rather than follow God. But they also follow someone else. Look at verse 2 again. He says, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Uh, Who is the ruler of the kingdom of the air? Well, later on in the letter, Paul's going to explain to us that he's talking there about Satan. Uh, We live in a a culture, don't we, that struggles with the idea of anything supernatural. And so the idea that there's a a real devil, well, that just seems balmy to us. Uh, But Paul says, no, No, put aside men in red tights for a moment and know that there is a real enemy. And this enemy's strategy has always been to get people to doubt and disobey God's word. And so those words that, that Satan whispered to Adam and Eve in the garden, he still whispers to people today. Did God really say that you shouldn't do that? Did he really say that you can't satisfy your desires in that way? Don't you know that you can be like God if you just live by your own rules? Anyway, what right does God have to tell you what to do? To do with your time or your money or your body or your pleasure? God has no right to demand anything of you. You see, Satan, he, he tempts us to, to doubt and disobey God's word. And so right from the very beginning, Paul says that people have listened to and followed his lies rather than God's truth. Uh, we follow the world. We follow the devil. And then in verse three, Paul says we follow our desires. Uh, verse three, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Most of us recognise the power and influence our desires have over us, don't we? We know how prone we are to addiction, uh, whether it's drugs and alcohol or uh, TV and YouTube or our phones in the gym. It doesn't really matter what it is. We we know that feeling of just needing to get another fix, uh, of being controlled by our desires. And Paul says that's because we follow them. We follow our desires, which means when it comes to our sin, to our rebellion against God, well, what we like to do is blame the things around us. We blame our culture. We blame our upbringing. We even try to blame God. But Paul says no. No, At the end of the day, no one makes us sin. No one forces us to do the things that we do. We act according to our desires. We do what we want to do. And so Paul says, this is what spiritually dead people are like. And the result is there in verse 3, he says, we all deserve God's wrath. You see, going along with the crowd and listening to the lies of the devil and following our own desires, in the end, all those things well, they they add up to a life lived in rebellion against God. And the Bible says that rebellion, that rejection of God, well, it can't go unpunished. God is rightfully angry at at our choices to do these things, at our rejection of him, and so he says he'll punish rebels like us. Which means we have this really big problem, a problem much bigger than coronavirus, a problem far greater than climate change. It's a problem that affects us all, and a problem that that we are not the solution to. Because of our sin, Paul says, we are dead. Dead and heading for disaster. And there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. It's a bleak picture of humanity, isn't it? It's bleak, but it's vital. It's a vital picture because... This is where the Christian faith begins. It begins with this recognition that without God we can do nothing. That without him we are helpless and hopeless. We, we're dead and we cannot save ourselves. It's something that we need to grasp whether we're new to Christianity or been a Christian for years. Because remember Paul is talking to Christians here. This is a letter written to Christians and his point is for them to remember this is what you were. This is what you were. You see, if you're anything like me, you find it all too easy to think back about your life before you became a Christian with slightly rose-tinted glasses. To think back and paint yourself in a slightly better light than Paul does here. And so we think, don't we, I don't think I was that bad I never really rejected God. I just sort of held him at arm's length. You know, I, I went to church every week still. I, I had no problems with my Christian friends and what they believed. And at the end of the day, I was the one who made the decision. I was the one that, that did the research and, and weighed up the evidence. I chose God. I don't think I was quite as dead as Paul's making out, or certainly not as dead as some people that I know. But Paul says, no, no, you were dead. And there's no such thing as more or less dead. There's just dead. And so we need to understand that. We need to understand the hopelessness of our situation before God intervened, before he came to us. But we need to grasp that because it's only as we do that we begin to see the, the beauty, the wonder of what God has done for us. And it's what God's done for us that Paul takes us to next. He says, you and I cannot be the solution to the world's problems. We can never be. But God is. God is the solution because he is the one who makes us alive in Christ. Just look at verse 4, some amazing words. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. How do you fix a broken world? How does a dead person come back to life? Paul says it can only be in Christ. Only in Christ. Just look at how much he talks about Christ in these verses. Verse 6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's been Paul's big message from the beginning, hasn't it? The only way we can receive blessing from God, the only way we can be adopted as one of his children, the only way we can be forgiven and restored to new life is if we are in Christ. And that makes complete sense, doesn't it, when we think about it. We've just think we've just spent two terms looking at John's gospel. And do you remember John's big message through his gospel? It was that Jesus is life. Jesus is life. He, he's the author of life. He's the bread of life. He's the fountain of life. He's the resurrection life. And so John said, look, if you want to have life, well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? You have to come to Jesus. And here Paul says the same. He says, we can only have this new life if we're connected to, united to, in Christ. Back in chapter 1, Paul explained that that God has raised Christ from the dead by his mighty power, raised him to new life. And here in chapter 2, he's saying, look, God has done the same thing. For those who are in Christ, where he goes, you go also. Christ has been raised to new life, which means Christians have been raised to new life. Christ is seated in the heavenly realms. And so, verse five, we are seated in the heavenly realms too. This is the new spiritual reality for those who are in Christ. We are no longer dead. We are alive and seated with him in heaven. Paul says you've been made alive in Christ and you've been made alive by grace. Just look at verse eight. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. This new life, says Paul, it's a gift from God to us. A gift of God's incomparable grace. And again, that just makes sense, doesn't it? Just think about it for a minute. If you're dead, what can you do? Answer? Nothing. Dead people can do nothing. It doesn't matter how often they go to church. It doesn't matter how much they give to charity. It doesn't matter how eco-friendly they are. Dead people cannot save themselves. They cannot raise themselves to life. And so this new life, it has to come from God. It is a gift of his grace. And God does everything. You can see that in these verses. Paul says, God loved, God raised, God seated, God created, God saved. God does it all. And so without him, we are utterly hopeless. We're dead, says Paul. Dead and heading for disaster. But because of his great mercy, because of his incomparable grace, God has reached down and raised us to new life in Christ. He's done that by his grace. No wonder Paul says you've you've got nothing to boast about, Ephesians. Your new life is all to do with God and nothing to do with you. God has made you alive in Christ by grace. And so for the last few minutes, I just want us to think uh, about some implications uh, for us today. Because remember last week, we we heard Paul pray in chapter one that that God would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see these things and that they would change us. That They wouldn't just stay in our heads, but they would affect all of us. And so I want to see how these things should affect us today. And the first implication is for us to have confidence have confidence. You see, whilst God's grace is something that we do tend to understand in our heads, it's something that doesn't always reach our hearts. I think that's partly because we live in a a culture of uh, you scratch my back, I scratch your back, Uh, a culture that says nothing good in life comes for free. And so whilst we might initially accept God's gift of grace Well, after a while, we begin to wonder whether we ought to pay him back. Deep down, we have this kind of niggling doubt, this worry that maybe we haven't done enough. Maybe our Christian life isn't quite up to scratch. And so maybe we will face God's anger after all. If those are doubts that you have, then Paul says, yes, you're right. By nature, you do deserve God's anger. By nature you do deserve his wrath, but by grace he has completely saved you. Because Christ died for your sin, because he bore God's wrath in your place, the punishment's been paid, the debt has been completely wiped. God has made you alive in Christ and so you no longer face his anger and you never will. And so that means you can have great confidence. Great confidence, not in yourself, not in, not in your ability to live the Christian life well, but in God's amazing grace that he's given to you in his son, Jesus. And just listen to how the great reformer Martin Luther puts it. I love this. He says, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, Tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know the one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there shall I be also. Have confidence, says Paul. Because of God's grace, you are alive and seated with Christ in heaven. And that cannot change. And secondly, keep going. Keep going. You see, a lot of what Paul has been saying so far has been pretty big picture, hasn't it? He's spoken about this huge reality of God's master plan for the whole cosmos. About our glorious future with him in heaven. And again, whilst those things might make sense in our heads, sometimes we struggle to see how they affect our today. We struggle to see what difference all of this stuff in Ephesians makes to our day-to-day life, to another week in lockdown. But Paul wants us to see that these big truths, they make all the difference in the world. He wants us to see that not only is our future secure in Christ, but our present is completely changed. Because in Christ, we've been set free from those things that used to rule us. In Christ, we're now free, free to live God's way rather than just go along with the world. We're free to to listen to God's truth rather than always be persuaded by the devil's lies. And in Christ, we are free to fight our sinful desires. In Christ, we have this new life, which means, verse 10 we are free to do the good works God has prepared for us to do, to live our lives for him. Of course, that isn't easy. Of course, old habits die hard. Uh, Paul has to tell the Ephesians in chapter 4 not to go back to their old way of living. He reminds them of the need to daily put on the new self, uh, to actively live out this new life uh, that we've been given. But he can tell them that and he can encourage them to do that because he knows that God's grace has saved them. He knows they are alive in Christ. And so it's possible now to live God's way and for God's glory. And the same is true for us. The same is true for us because of God's grace. We can keep living this new life. We can keep going. Whatever we come across, whatever we face this week, we are free to follow Christ. So let's pray that God would help us to do that. Let's pray together now. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your incomparable grace to us in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that in him we have new life, life that starts now and lasts forever. And so, Father, we pray that as we depend on your grace, as we have confidence in your grace to us, you would help us. Help us to live out this new life. Help us to follow Christ and to show Christ in all that we do so that others might come to know and trust him and have this new life in him also. And we pray it all for your glory. Amen.